should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, Love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and uh, having a great, great, great time. I love watching movies, and especially movies that um, affect and impact LGBTQI lives because it's showing just kind of like, um, you know, what our true lived experience are. So I'll get the program started because I think we have two incredible guests today, and I want to save enough time to be able to, to have our guests tell their stories. Today's program is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our guest today is Penny Baldaldo, who is the owner of uh, a cafe in Oakland called Cafe's, Cafe Gabriella, uh, who also had a film that was shown um, in point of view format at the International Southeast Asian Film Festival. And also, you know, is an incredible, fierce voice for those undocumented um, and for immigrants and for the, uh, you know, someone out of the LGBTQI community in the film that uh, that she made was called My Beautiful Resistance. Penny, welcome to the program. Thank you, uh, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Give me one second really quick. I'm having just a thing in my headphones. And uh, I I just, uh, I'm one of those people that I have to hear everything perfectly. Otherwise, my head spins. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, let's, uh, let, I think this sounds great. So, Penny, you know, your your eight minutes of My Beautiful Resistance, your film, you know, brought mm-hmm. me to tears. Um, let's start by the journey. Let's start, you know, by telling the story of your journey. You came here to the United States in 1999, right? That's correct. Um, I came here um, December of 99. Um, I was born and raised in the Philippines, and... Uh, my parents came to the U.S. Um, to find a better job, to help sustain, to get to school, college. And um, we were separated um, for about, I would say, nine years of my life. Mm-hmm. So um, after I finished college, I wanted, I always had a curiosity on how. Um, how life is here in the U.S. coming from, you know, the Philippines. Um, I yeah, you you probably like for a lot of people, you know, thought that uh, you're coming to the promised land of opportunities, <laughs> and uh, and and I think that there was part of the film that mentioned that you wanted to come and and to be you, to be an out uh, lesbian, non-conforming lesbian, right? 
Yeah, um, that's one of the um, intentions that I had, too, in moving to the, the U.S. It's like um, I wanted to live as an out um, lesbian. Um, I was in the closet until I uh, moved out here in, in the U.S. And you um, did your parents know you were gay and or did you come and then, uh, you know, you I know that you met with your dad and then and then you came out to him. Yeah, you know, what's funny. Um, if I look back um, growing up in the Philippines, I, you know, always knew I was um, I was queer. I was gay. I was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can remember when I was like six or seven, you know, giving flowers to a neighbor. Uh, one of my neighbor's like sisters who was older than me and uh, my parents um, what do you call this one my parents knew about it and they thought it was like cute and everything because I was still like young but as, um, as soon as I went to school I you know definitely knew for me um, coming out um, in the Philippines during that time wasn't as safe um, as I have experienced it, like with like teasing and like, you know, mm-hmm. showing that like attraction to like the same sex and having been teased and bullied. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. this is not good for me. So I had to like, yeah, um, well, that part of myself. Right. What, what I, what I loved about, you know, the, the point of view shot, um, cause it really was so personal, but you in eight minutes again, Totally told your story, um, and and not just like being out and lesbian, but also the struggle of coming here to this country. I mean, you, an educated woman at the Philippines, in the Philippines, you got your degree in, in veterinarian care, um, mm-hmm. couldn't even you know apply for a work visa because it wasn't it wasn't I guess a category that the United States feels worthy of a visa. Um, and so what was life like once you got here and you you couldn't you couldn't even work in the field that you have a degree in. It was it was uh, definitely hard. It was a struggle. The first job that I had over here, um, once my visa ran out, was I um, I worked in a Filipino restaurant and started in the bottom. The bottom, I um, bust tables and waited tables, and that was um, the job that was available for me as, as a person who didn't have the proper documentations or papers here in the U.S. Um, so, yeah, it was a struggle, but, you know, I needed to do what I have to do. I have to pay my bills. I have to pay rent. Um, so I did, and, you know, mm-hmm. I, um, I knew it wasn't clear. I was, like, um, it wasn't clear in terms of, like, I was living paycheck to paycheck. It was, um, it was hard um, also I was in a relationship with a same-sex relationship with a U.S. citizen, but like Doma was still in place. Um, so you know, in in a lot of ways, it was hard um, in terms of like living the everyday um, everyday thing, trying mm-hmm. to survive, and also like um, not being too like being fearful of like being caught by you know, like the immigration mm-hmm. agents and being picked up and deported. And I, you know, I was building 
my life out here too. So there was a lot of things. There was a lot of layers. It's exactly and the layers part, which was so complex to me. It's so interesting because it's like you came here to this country to be out. Wasn't you know safe, accepting where you were um, in the Philippines to be out, and then you're finally out, but you're not out because you're undocumented. Um, you know, did you ever did you ever regret being in the United States, and did you ever feel like it wasn't worth it to finally be? Uh, able to be an out lesbian or in, maybe inside of you it was just always the about the courage of making it happen that you were you know you were going to make it happen to be documented and to be an out lesbian living her life openly and freely i i wish you know i i you know when i moved out here you know um a layer like of my invisibility you know showed up which is like i can live as an out like lesbian out here in the U.S., but at the same time, you know, my immigration status, like, my, my freedom to move in, in, in terms of, like, economic way because of my immigration status definitely has also impacted my um, living out here, like, as, as um, freely as I, I can. Um, so, if, I, I don't know, in terms of, like, Regretting moving out here, I think I live my I live my life in terms of like this is where I'm at right now. Yep. Um, and I just have to do what I have to do. This is the, like the um, the place or the life that I I chose and the place that I chose uh, I choose to like live as authentically as I can. Exactly. Exactly. And that that's the type of courage that I love so much in watching My Beautiful Resistance. Michelle Miao, we're speaking with Penny Baldaldo, who is the owner of uh, a cafe in Oakland called Cafe Gabriella. The story of how you became the owner of Cafe Gabriella. I mean, you know, it's 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 so it's so awesome because it is actually the the uh, modern American story in that, you know, you came here to this country, you fought for your status. Uh, but, you, you know, before even doing that, you were, you 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 fought to, to educate yourself to learn how to open a cafe um how cool is it you know you said that even though you didn't have a social security number you couldn't get you know the loans and all that to to open your own cafe you you still went to the library uh or or looked up nola to find out how to to do it yeah i um i just felt like in in some ways like i couldn't like um wait for any like um changes in terms of, like, um, the system. So I had to kind of, like, find my own way, my own path in terms of, um, you know, trying to um, sustain sustain myself and sustain, you know, um, my, my life, my way of, like, living out here without being exploited. Because, like, um, when I was working in... in um, the restaurant industry, um, my employers knew about my status as an undocumented immigrant. So there's, you know, there's some definitely ex- exploitation going on. And I just was tired. I was tired of like waiting for somebody else to give me a break. So I had to find my own mm-hmm. window or door too break open i mean it took three years for you to open your cafe um and so how many years total now have you had your cafe um we have been blessed that um cafe gabriela has been in existence for five years now 
five years. Wow, congratulations. Uh, that yeah. is that is so incredibly awesome. Now, you know, before we go on break, because the second half of our conversation, I want to talk about, you know, LGBTQI life uh, with you as an American now and making that transi- transition. But in the end of My Beautiful Resistance, your eight-minute uh, uh, short here, it was a... Uh, it was so shocking for me to find out that against your attorney's wishes, you actually, um, you know, you had applied for asylum based off of uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, and and um, and and against your attorney's uh, wishes, you walked into the immigration office in San Francisco uh, to, you know, basically go through the process. And when you saw that stamp, that red stamp, what did it say? I said, um, basically, my asylum was granted and I had some sort of status um, to kind of like move a little bit freer over here in the U.S. Did you feel lucky? You know, yes, I feel grateful. I feel grateful. I feel like my ancestors were looking out for me. Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow, I just got goosebumps because I know that feeling so much. I mean, obviously, we know, you know, the fight for undocumented immigrants, especially uh, undocumented LGBTQI immigrants, have become a really big topic and issue uh, during the Obama administration. And so that's that kind of was my take when you got the asylum and you pl- applied for asylum uh, because of gender, uh, you know, identity, sexual orientation mm-hmm. in terms of where you come from. It was a shock to me. What, what would you say to, to someone else who is undocumented LGBTQI today who would want to go through the same process? I would just, I would like to say like for, for me, my experience is just to like, I just had to like hear what my inside is telling me, um, you know, and just like, but I had to fight for what I um, wanted to fight for and believe in. Did you? Did the immigration department ever questioned if you were a lesbian? No, I think it's pretty obvious. That. <laughs> <laughs> like I wonder, you know, like because when you marry someone foreign, I I I know from a lot of friends who tell me like they go down and ask you even like you know, do you know what kind of underwear your wife uh, has in the drawer? I wonder if they they did any of the type of questioning. Like, were you in a relationship or? I was um, single during that time when I applied. I applied for asylum. Um, I just. Um, I ended a long-term relationship with a, a, a U.S. citizen um, during that time. Um, I think that's one of the things that impacted my decision was, like, I wanted, like, you know, either, like, closure in terms of, like, okay, if things doesn't pan out, out here in the U.S., you know, like, I can, I can just, like, um, you know, decide. And, but, like, give it another try and see and, and fight for for what, you know, I wanted to do, which is, like, mm-hmm. to stay here. Um, Oakland is my home. I built, like, community, chosen family, and um, a beautiful, like, place that I can work and, you know. Wow, this is, is such a courageous story. I'm so happy for it. We're going to take a quick break right here, Penny, but when we come back, I want to continue our conversation, but now I want to turn the attention to, you know, your life completely acclimated and living as, as an American, as a lesbian, and all of that. So stay with us. Okay. 
The Michelle Miao Show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. Babe. I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is the uh, director and filmmaker who has a film called My Beautiful Resistance that was shown at the uh, International Southeast Asian Film Festival. And uh, it's an eight-minute point of view short um, that outlines her life as the owner of Cafe Gabriella, but most importantly as an undocumented immigrant who came here to the United States to be able to be out. Um, And so what an important film, although it was eight minutes long, it just kind of was like eight minutes of what Americans really should be watching. So our guest, Penny Baldaldo. Penny, I I just kind of in like 30 seconds just told what we talked about in the previous (laughs) half. But now let's let's turn our attention to the second half. Now you're able to speak openly, uh, not not uh, only identifying as LGBTQI, but also now as uh, as an American. Uh, who immigrated here? Um, you know what? What? Uh, how has life been? First, first of all, um, life um, right now is good. I'm I'm really grateful. Um, I'm still kind of like, even though I have some sort of like status, I have my um, green card now. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm still kind of like um, adjusting to not having that weight on my shoulder and walking through. It slowly, carefully, um, and having that status, but also kind of like, yeah, mm-hmm. um, definitely a lot of weight lifted in in, in my um, shoulders right now. So I'm just into walking a little bit straighter. I mentioned that, uh, you know, it's a growing conversation that we're having here regarding undocumented immigrants and especially LGBTQ, LGBTQI undocumented immigrants. Um you know, do, would you say that yeah, part of why you put the film together would be because you would like to elevate, you know, the discrimination that a lot of undocumented immigrants face? 
I think I made the film in, in a lot of intentions. Uh, primarily, I made the film for my own healing, my own closure, my own process. Um, and also at the same time, I hope, like, if I do, like, tell the, truthfully as I can the story that I have, that people, you know, people can can see differently in terms of, like, um, undocumented immigrants or queer immigrant as, as a whole, you know, um, in terms of, like, um, the, the struggles that I, we, I have um, undergone just to kind of, like, um, mm-hmm. live my life. Yeah, yeah, which is so, it's so important. And then I think about, um, you know, if, if you were, yeah, like, back in the Philippines, for example, in today's time, and you have someone like, Sharice, uh, right, the super mega star singer, uh, mm-hmm. who came out and not just came out, but also talked about gender identity and in, in saying that internally she feels more like a man. Um, kind of, you know, do you see that as huge progress? Someone who's continuing to stay in the country, but but um, face the criticism. I think um, if you're asking in regards to like Sharice um, Pampanco live still living in, in the Philippines. Um, yeah, um, I feel like um, it has. Um, you take it takes a lot of courage. Still, I, I feel like in in a lot of ways to live in a certain area we're in, like colonization and um, Catholicism and homophobia is still um, a part a part of um, in in a, in some ways a part of like. Um, the culture and the society. Mm-hmm. Would you um, would you say that Sharice uh, Pampanko is is like a, a hero to LGBTQI people in the Philippines? I think yeah. Um, you know when you kind of like live your life as truthfully as you can, and like people like people who are um, um, going through the same same like life experience as you and they can see that you're you're doing it i think mm-hmm. it's you know it's an act of like yeah and courage well let's talk about your life now as a you know a filipina american um what are some things that you know you still i guess like i think that all immigrants and and their offspring like their children like my child of an immigrant and there are things that i do that are unique they're they're like different that people would never understand uh so like do you still carry on you know filipina uh, culture and 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 do things that other people might not understand um i don't know i still i mean in 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 terms of like um, I don't understand. Yeah, no, no, for me, like, for example, like, um, you know, <laughs> um, I, I will, I, I, I eat tons of sticky rice or like the <laughs> eyes of, of a fish and, and some of my friends don't never understand that or taking off my shoes, and, you know, always, uh, it doesn't matter whose house it is, even my owner or someone who's white, uh, you, you know, I just kind of just now we're just having fun with you now. Um, in kind of talking about being open about your immigrant uh, life and your identity of coming from a different country and living here in America now, or are you fully a hundred percent like acclimated and you love Glee and? <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like when you were um, asking me that, my fir- the first thing that I 
was what came to my mind is like I still eat rice every day. And you said like you eat cigarettes. I'm like, yeah, of course. Like you know, my being Filipino and my upbringing is mm-hmm. huge. Like part of me, and it's a huge like um, a strength for me. It's um, never been because I wanted to live here in the U.S. that I have to, like, I, I forget about, like, you know, how I was, like, brought up. Right. Yeah. Right. We, it, the Filipino-Americans or Filipino-Americans um, in, in California, Northern California, especially the second, third, fourth generation to me, uh, are not very connected with, you know, uh, the Asian community, if you will. So more connected with, you know, the perspective of island and, and being colonized by the Spaniards. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts about that? Um, I, I don't know. I don't really, um, I feel like the community that I'm involved in, in terms of like Filipino American, but like uh-huh. the community of Oakland in general is very, very kind of like diverse and like, um, you know, like, um, I have a lot of, like, um, community through, like, the Filipino-American community, yeah. and they definitely are working together or in solidarity with, like, other, like, um, Asian-Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that's good. That's good. It might just be, you know, just uh, uh, the again, like the evolution of, you know, the immigrants who have come here mm-hmm. and, and have understood history in a different way. Um, OK, well, we, you know, we're winding down on time with you. I just wanted to know, I, I mean, you know, what, what what's your favorite food outside of uh, Filipino food, which I love. But <laughs> Whoa. Oh, there's so much like right now I'm to um, Korean food. Yeah, definitely like some bul- some bulgogi. That's like, still that's still Asian, but like, what about? I mean, do you like a nice juicy meaty burger, an American <laughs> burger with cheese? Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> okay, I can eat burgers, but like, I'm I'm crazy about like other like um, different types of like food. Um, Burma, like a lot of Asian food, actually, a lot of like, um, one of my favorite is Burma Superstar. Yeah. Um, there's uh, uh, Loatian food. Oh, you like Loatian food? What do you, yeah. what do you do? Do you do uh, kapun or do you do uh, uh, papaya salad or? Uh, yeah, papaya salad and like the, um, the sausages. Oh, the uh, saigok? Yeah, yeah. Um, that, yeah, that is good. That's the pork sausages with lemongrass and spices. Yeah. See, that's the crazy thing about, like, immigrant families, though. Like, doesn't matter if their children have children and their second, third, fourth, fifth generation. They always, always go back to the food. They love the food. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I, it's like. It's like people think that we come here to this country and, and all of a sudden we, um, you know, open six pack of beer and, and grill steak and watch TV. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I mean, for me, food is food is a way of like taking care of myself and taking care of like loved ones that I have. And I, I love to um, share and enjoy food and stories together. That's like. Um, exactly. 
Exactly. How about how about the gay life? We got three minutes left. The uh, the LGBT queer life here in the Bay Area. You're in the best part of it. You know the San Francisco yeah. Bay Area, especially in Oakland, which is growing. Uh, do you feel connected? And and uh, now do you feel you know that uh, you're embraced, undocumented or documented? Yeah, I feel like even before, like the the queer community has definitely like supported. Um, supported me and have, you know, made me feel like family. I definitely have, you know, a strong, beautiful, like, connection uh, with a lot of, like, um, LGBTQ, um, com- in the LGBTQ com- community, even yeah. when I, I, like, opened up about my yeah immigration status. Are you dating? Yeah, I'm actually, um in a relationship right now. Awesome. Congratulations. And uh, and how is she? Does she like uh, uh, Laotian food too? She, unfortunately, she's vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm learned, I love eating lots of like meat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is she Filipina as well? Um, no, she's um, half Indian and half Greek. <laughs> I'm learning to eat vegetarian and vegan food. What is this? I'm learning to cook, uh, you know, vegetarian and vegan food for for her. Oh, that that you're so sweet. Well, it sounds like you have acclimated, and you you know, and that's a beautiful part of us. Is uh, while we migrate and we live in different places, we become so so much more diverse. Penny, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for sharing your film with us it really was a a beautiful resistance i'm really happy to share um to share my a part of my story and thank you so much for the work that you do thank you my beautiful resistance uh was shown at the international southeast asian film festival and if for for more information i guess you could go to i-cfilmfest.com but if you're in the san francisco oakland bay area you should stop by and say hi to penny maybe offer to take her out for some laotian food uh stop by the cafe cafe gabriella uh i guess that's uh That's the end of this segment. The second half is going to be pretty powerful, so don't go away. We'll be right back with Reverend Megan Rohrer. I'm Heclina. I've been doing drag here in San Francisco for almost 20 years and uh, over the past couple months I just opened up my club Oasis. It's been going really well. People really seem to appreciate the space. It's something people say San Francisco really needs right now because the city has been changing a lot. I always had this attitude of, of opening a space that was kind of like for everybody and that's just kind of the attitude and the, the uh, the ethics of Oasis is it's kind of a space for everybody. How does it feel to be a business owner? I don't know, you know, it's funny because I still need, I still have to kind of pinch myself to believe it's actually true, you know what I mean? Like I walk in there and and I go up to the bar and I go, oh, can I please have a glass of water? You know, it's kind of like, I forget that it's my place. Running gay clubs, it's changed a lot. Um, I think that gay people now, they're everywhere. They don't feel like they have to maybe be in a gay bar all the time, so you have to be much more creative about how you are enticing people to come out to your club. 
I, I guess I'm successful because I'll just say it, I work really hard at what I do. I also like to provide a really quality experience for people. So yes, you know, people will pay to see my shows and pay to come to my club, but I always like, like to give them something that's worth it. The experience that they'll, they'll leave my shows going, okay, that was worth it, you know what I mean? This has always been my attitude, um, just to entertain people. And so it seems like that works, you know. I would say to young kids, you know, just kind of form your own identity. And, uh, and you know, don't let others dictate how you should behave or think. Uh, you can always go to uh, sfoasis.com to find out about all the entertainment and nightlife that we have going on at Oasis. If you want to see drag, we've got that for you. If you want to see some queer hip-hop parties or queer dance parties, we have that for Spotlight you. Spotlight on success and achievement. Brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. We're going to switch gears now and uh, go from undocumented immigration to homelessness, gender issues, sexuality, and faith with someone who's uh, very well loved here and known for their work. Uh, and so I'd like to actually I should clarify, I should actually correct myself because I said reverend, but it's actually pastor. So I'd like to welcome Pastor Rohrer, Megan Rohrer to the program. Megan, welcome. Thank you. You can use reverend or pastor, but when they do studies, more people know what the word pastor means than reverend. Got Isn't it. That funny. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. It means the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. That's like pope or uh, papal, and you know, and then so reverend, pastor, I guess yeah. maybe. Episcopalians <laughs> care a lot because they have a lot of different types. Like the most reverend, the most I would, you know. Got it. If you want to call me the most fabulous, that would be great too. I like the most it fabulous. Works. All right. right? We're we're yeah. welcoming the most fabulous Megan Rohrer. Did I say your name yeah. right? By the way, Rohrer. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. It's it's ancient Swiss for plumber, but it's pronounced like the noise a lion makes. <laughs> Roar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. Well, um, you know, Pastor, you're an activist, an advocate, and an educator, and uh, you preach nationally, but you're you're doing the hardest work, in, in my opinion, just the heavy lifting, um, touching on, you know, homelessness, sexuality, gender, trans issues, and just, just recently, uh, you know, was named uh, one of the most important people here in the Bay Area by San Francisco Magazine. And it was something that they said that, you know, um, struck out for me, which was the first transgender pastor. Uh, you know, how did, how did you feel about that description, that title? It's, I mean, well, it's kind of like anything. It, you use the words to identify that are going to inspire people. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it's really helpful to identify as the first openly transgender pastor, particularly because people might not imagine that a pastor is transgender, and I use the word openly because we've been around a long time. I think there's over 230 different names of transgender faithful people from around the world, like back through ancient times. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, some Christianity, when they were colonizing the world, taught homophobia to people and, and ended some of that welcoming that existed for transgender people in religion. But it's even in, in the Christian Bible, you can find it. There, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Holy Spirit starts a woman, becomes a man, and then becomes a woman again. So there's trans folk everywhere. We just don't notice it because we don't know what old-timey, churchy words always mean. And so just identifying that way helps people just notice, oh, yeah, 
people have all kinds of bodies, and pastors can have all kinds of bodies. And, and if my pastor can be transgender, maybe my kid can be transgender. Absolutely. I, it was an extremely powerful article, and there were so many, you know, words, um, even just in the description and the header that kind of provoked me in different ways. I mean, uh, you know, the, the article is available at modernluxury.com. Um, the, uh, the, the magazine called it the December Women in Power issue, and it was all these yeah. choice words that you don't necessarily see in the media, especially when you're talking about a pastor who is working, you know, on issues such as homelessness. Did, right. did, you, did you feel that that was also, you know, kind of like this um, parallel or juxtaposition of words? Yeah, well, and the, the headline of the article was 37 Soldiers for Change, which mm-hmm. can be jarring in a world that has so much violence in it as well. And, but what I've learned is that whether people want to help the homelessness out of their shame or their guilt or out of empathy or out of really benevolent, like Mother Teresa, oh, I'm amazing um, intentions, it doesn't matter. Like people's checks cash the same if they come from a very important person or if they come from um, someone who has just a few pennies. And so I, I really believe that even if people are going to use the wrong labels for my gender identity or if they're going to use the wrong labels for how my love life works, that it's less about people understanding me and thinking I'm great and more about people learning about the issues that affect the homeless. And so why not have a feature on someone who works with the homeless in a way that you wouldn't expect in a magazine about luxury and you know on the next page the ad might be something that cost as much as housing someone for the month right it's a purse right well uh, they I think that the you know initial readers or viewers are the ones who who need you know, to know people like you uh, in the, and to have people like you in their lives. So let's jump into the importance of your work, because really I, I wanted to speak to you not because of the article, but um, because of because of you. When you, when you yeah, you know, when you, we talk about homelessness and, and uh, also um, faith organizations, it, it's interesting because as far as LGBTQI, you know, faith organizations have not been uh, the best in terms of numbers of, of allies to the the LGBTQI community, but you live, um, you know, in both those worlds and being able to, to express compassion in this work. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you, I guess, you know, the Lutheran church has always been uh, pretty open and inclusive of LGBTQI people, but how'd you find yourself in this, this particular space? Yeah, well, I grew up in South Dakota, dun, 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 right? <laughs> and we're coming out can go really well or it can go really poorly. Thankfully, my family was really loving and really welcoming. And um, I moved to, to Berkeley because at the time, the Lutheran Church didn't allow LGBT pastors to serve openly. And um, for about 20 years, the Lutheran Church had a policy that said that we couldn't be pastors. And I became one of 18 pastors who broke the church's rules through an even older set of rules that said when bishops try to require you to be celibate, you ignore them and break their rules, because Lutheranism is a tradition about reforming and rebelling and protesting. So we have written into our doctrine that you're supposed to come up against the, the rules of the day and shine the light of, of the gospel on those really firm list of rules that Jesus probably wouldn't have cared about. So... Um, 
in 2009, that policy actually changed, and I was one of the first seven LGBTQI pastors that were brought back into the Lutheran Church and um, became a blog writer for the National Church and um, was just featured in the, the Lutheran magazine, which a lot of Lutherans read, talking about trans issues and putting like Transgender 101 uh, in their, their magazine that mostly goes to grandmas, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I came to San Francisco and, and felt homesick because all of the housing around the seminary, the pastor school, was really, really rich. It was up in the Berkeley Hills, and I missed uh, lower-income folk. And so I applied for a job in San Francisco with the homeless at age 21, and they gave it to me because I had put that I was a black belt in my hobbies. <laughs> and, and what I discovered working on Polk Street was that there were a lot of gay, and lesbian, and bisexual, transgender, homeless people in San Francisco because they had moved from other cities that mm-hmm. were not welcoming for them, and they would rather live on the streets in San Francisco where their sexuality and their gender is welcomed, even if it's a horrible hard way to live in the world. And so a lot of the reason I do um, try to be in fancy magazines and, and preach in other parts of the country is I really believe as long as there's homophobia and transphobia in other parts of the world, there will always be homeless people in, in San Francisco. And I think we forget or assume they're not LGBT mm-hmm. because we don't know what to do with that. Right, And so... That's part of the work that I try to do is to to care for folk who weren't as blessed as I was to find the same kind of support. And the other thing, too, is as a pastor, I notice that the angry Christians are the ones who get to be on TV. Yeah. So there were all these other Christians, like millions of people, like pastors were getting arrested after Prop 8, like almost 100 pastors got arrested blocking Van Ness. And People don't notice because the angry pastors are the ones talking about their faith. And the, the people who are really honoring the life choices that people make, they might feed the homeless but not talk about their faith because they don't want to trigger anyone who has had experiences with jerky Christians. Right, and right. so even just to remind people, there's jerks in every club. Right. And my hope, we do a Bible study called Bible Study That Doesn't Suck, because our goal is just to try to suck less and to remind people that, you know what, whatever way you identify, God can love you. And even if people lie to you, there's going to be people like me who are trying to be loud enough that they, that they know that, that they can be a part of any faith they want to. And, and God's bigger than us and can come to terms with anything. Ma- Megan's already, uh, right. you know, recruiting me, and and, and yeah. <laughs> I'm not even, you know, someone of, you know, has faith or goes to church, and or I'm not a Christian, so I feel like I want to go to your church, which is the Grace yeah. Evangelical Lutheran Church. Uh, we're speaking with Pastor Megan Rohr, uh, who's the uh, the pastor of the actual uh, Grace Evangelical Lutheran Church, and is also executive director of Welcome. I wanted to go back to, you know, something interesting that you say uh, or that you said because um, a lot of LGBTQI people who live in in San Francisco are, in fact, like you said, transplants of, of somewhere yeah. else, right? But um, so you kind of like think as a queer person, like San, San Francisco is the safe place, the sanctuary. However, it's becoming so 
aggressive and, and increasingly, um, un- you know, unattainable. You can't live here. You, you, it's too expensive. Right. You might feel like the resources don't even care about you as an LGBTQI person. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think there's, there's a couple of things. One thing is, um, we don't understand some of the ways that our policies make it even more likely that LGBTQ folk will become homeless or live on the margins. Like, for example, people who are HIV positive, for a really long time, the only way they could get health insurance was to be declared disabled, which meant they couldn't work, and they would get an average of about $800 a month. Well, anyone who lives in San Francisco or the Bay Area knows $800 a month is nothing. And they did a study that out of everyone who was HIV positive, about 56% of those people didn't have enough food to take their medications regularly mm. right, because of the way the policies are working. And so when changes happen, like that healthcare becomes available, it helps people be able to take, to have enough money for their healthcare so that they can have enough money for food, and it kind of trickles down. So sometimes caring for low-income LGBT people gets helped in ways that you might not expect. So often the way to care for homeless people is to care for justice issues that affect everyone, right? So it's working on low-income housing. It's providing rehab support for people who need it. It's helping people have access to health care that's not super expensive. It's caring for people so that their churches and their families can love and support them so that, you know, if they have to live home for a little while after college, like most people do because of how debt is, that they have people who can love and support them and be able to do that. Hmm. And um, I, I kind of think about the way that gay and lesbian people move out of, of San Francisco in terms of the ways that faith movements change. I think of um, lesbians living in Oakland as like the dyke aspera. Right. Yeah. When a whole population goes to a certain area and they make a new village for themselves and create community. And, and so I'm grateful that LGBT communities are branching out to other spaces, but I also wish that we weren't feeling like we were being forced out or that the nonprofits that serve us are being forced out. It's right? true. It's true. We still might live in San Francisco, but Transgender Law, Care, Law Center is now in Oakland. And so it becomes really expensive to get the services you need if you have to cross a bridge to go and get them. I know that gate is looking more like gold to me every single day uh, than right. red or, or cement or, you know, whichever bridge you're crossing. Uh, Pastor, we got to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, I want to dive into some San Francisco specific issues and as well as yeah. uh, talk more about your work. Is that okay? Beautiful. The Michelle Miao show continues right after this. Don't go away. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on on Facebook. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. On the Progressive Voices Facebook page, we update the stories that our hosts like Tom Hartman, Stephanie Miller, Bill Press, and Leslie Marshall will be talking about during their shows. And we share great news, commentaries, opinion pieces, and videos from all over the progressive world. Always progressive, always on. Be part of the progressive conversation. Like us at facebook.com forward slash progressive voices. The Commonwealth Club is a unique organization that brings together people from a variety of backgrounds to explore important issues as a community. 
Sooner or later, everyone worth hearing comes to our stage. From Marga Gomez to Richard Chamberlain, from James Hormel to Kate Kendall, leading thinkers, activists, politicians, and artists have come to the Commonwealth Club of California. Ted Olson and David Boyes came here to discuss their winning legal strategy for same-sex marriage. Jason Collins talked about gay athletes. The Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence discussed activism and good works. Actor and director Rob Reiner explained how he got Hollywood behind same-sex marriage. Barney Frank described what it's like to be gay at the highest levels of Washington. From healthcare reform to transgender rights, from immigration to gay-owned businesses, it's all at the Commonwealth Club. And that's still just a portion of the 450 programs we present every single year, with new programming nearly every single day. Be a part of the conversation. Learn more at commonwealthclub.org, download our free app in iTunes, and join us in person the next time you're in San Francisco. The Commonwealth Club of California puts you face-to-face with today's thought leaders. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. Our guest today is Pastor Megan Rohrer, who is a nationally recognized leader on issues of homelessness, gender, sexuality, and faith. Uh, Megan, I wanted to bring up this, you know, thought. It seems like the LGBTQI community or, or certain organizations and small mo- mobilized organizations, especially the the transgender community um, are speaking up a lot lately and, and very emotional about the, uh, the issues that we're facing, such as homelessness and all the issues that you do your work in. Right. And then, you know, this is, this is post marriage equality in which you see also um, the, the discussion of class issues and, and, and inequalities in which, it's like at the end of the day, if you're not poor or homeless or, you know, all those things, why would you care? Do you feel that there might, I don't know, how do you feel about compassion within our community? Are, are we lacking that or, or maybe, um, you know, it, it, feel, it, might feel, it might feel like there's, there's just a displacement of, of, of such compassion we're looking for? Yeah, I think it really depends where we are in our life and um, what kind of community and support that we need. And so people who have um, a relative amount of privilege and have a lot of financial backing to their work might think about those kinds of issues less. People who are living closer to homelessness, like a paycheck away or without family and support that can take care of them, um, might think about those issues more often. I think what's really difficult is that as LGBTQI folk, we have probably experienced some sort of violence or um, have had people who have been disrespectful for us. And so sometimes we're just trying to survive in our own lives. And if, if we took in the news of every horrible thing that happened, we just wouldn't be able to get out of bed each day. And, and some people in our LGBTQI community do have difficulties with mental health issues and depression and being able to get out of bed each day. And so on the one hand, we have to kind of compartmentalize. If people pick one thing that they're really passionate about um, and work on that issue, that's, a, that's enough, I think. Um, and then there's this, there's this other saying in the Bible 
where you put your money is where your heart will go. Like mm. the Bible assumes we're not perfect people <laughs> in almost every page. So there's this idea that if you want to care about something and you don't care about it enough yet, if you invest in it, then you will care more. So, for example, if I give $20 to the LGBT center and I start getting their newsletter, I might become more informed about it because I'm able to follow this community and kind of notice when it's in the paper. So we can do it out of our own desire to be helpful, or we can decide we want to invest in certain parts of our community. But my experience working with the homeless is that the people who give the most are the people with the least. Right. And so percentage-wise, at least, homeless people probably give more money to the work that I do than folk who have millions and trillions of dollars. Part of that is I'm not hanging out with people who have millions and trillions of dollars, so I don't get the opportunity to ask them for it. Um, it, but, it, it you're right. It's pretty hard to ask people with trillions of dollars for money. Otherwise, yeah, I, I think all of our problems would go away. Let's speak <laughs> um, you know, specifically and openly about the transgender community, and that's where sure. I'm going. And, you know, you look at someone like Caitlyn Jenner, who's obviously privileged, yeah. who has tons and tons of money, who could do so much with that for, for the yeah. trans community who's going through. I mean, we obviously know they're the most vulnerable of our community. Right. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts from I want to hear from like a pastor about that issue. Yeah. versus an activist. Yeah, well, I mean, I think every meeting I go to on justice issues, people have an idea of who has a bigger checkbook than them that could solve a problem. And I don't know about you, but I get really annoyed when even like my partner's like, why'd you spend $5 on that thing, right? Like we all don't want other people to tell us how to spend our money. And yet we think that if money was distributed more fairly, that we could have a more just world. Uh, I really appreciated I Am Kate because I loved that that Caitlyn Jenner took the time to go and listen to vulnerable communities. And especially as the episodes progressed and it became less about, like, what dress she was going to wear and more about let's listen to the stories of people of color and the discrimination that they face. So I, I really appreciated that she didn't pretend that she had all the problems, that she invited people onto the show who could talk from their own experience. And and I think people who come out and then the very next day they're like, I'm going to solve all the problems, bug me. And so I, I appreciate that she's taking her time to learn more about the community. And we don't know, maybe she's donating anonymously to different groups. Um, maybe maybe just producing this television show is costing a lot of money. I don't know all the circumstances <laughs> of, of the back end of what's going on, but I know that because Caitlyn Jenner exists, my congregation knows the word transgender. And every single, every single member of my congregation wanted to let me know that they loved me just as I am. And so anytime there was an article about Caitlyn Jenner, they would give it to me. I think and I think I got five copies of Laverne Cox's Time magazine article yeah. issue when she was on the front page. And so I think the more people share their stories, even if we'd rather they shared it in a different way or we would, like if we voted, we might pick different people to tell the stories of our community, that that's how change happens. The people who, who would say something like, well, men are just up to no good when they're transitioning to become women the ability to live with people's stories and listen to them sometimes mm -hmm. can do so much more mm -hmm. than... Yeah. 
than well, a check. I what don't know. Are, what about this idea of, you know, LGBTQI as a community? I mean, you you know, yeah. when you look at when you work with LGBTQI people who are homeless, who are low income and, you know, they can barely survive and you want to help yeah. them. Um, yeah. Does it ever, you know, cross your mind that, you know, where where's everyone else? Where are where are our foot soldiers, if you will? Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's particularly difficult like because you see so much overconsumption in the gay community and then you also see a lot of people who are really chipping in like there's a lot of people who have dedicated their lives to living in poverty to fight poverty right and because becoming a social worker or a pastor is essentially choosing not to take a higher income job because you want to help the world Uh, so i think i see it on both ends i see people who are taking advantage of people who move to San Francisco and don't know how, it, how expensive it is. Um, I talk to people. I, I go out with the Night Ministry sometimes. It's a group that's been around for over 30 years and was created by pastors at the request of gay and lesbian um, heroes um, like Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon. And, mm-hmm. and those guys said, we need people to help the homeless gay youth. And then this ministry was created to reach out to people. And when I go out at night with the night ministry, I see people who say, I moved across the country to live with the person I thought was my life partner, and then when they broke up with me, I had nowhere to live and no savings because I just moved here, and now I'm homeless. And this person walks past me every day to go to work, and I just don't know what to do and how to get out of this situation. And so I think there are ways in which our community contributes to eating each other alive, um, And sometimes I think the homeless might be like the litter of the people that we have kind of abandoned Mm. in the world. And so I try to be be present to do the best I can, the best I can. Mm -hmm. I can't house every single person. I've never brought a homeless person back to my house. I know sometimes when I go on vacation, a meal doesn't get served to people. And I have to find a balance. How can I take care of myself and do the best I can to take care of other people that have been forgotten? And so I just encourage other people to do the best they can, the best they can. And maybe today you don't have the the time or the energy or the time off for the extra income to help, but maybe tomorrow you do, and then you can do the best you can tomorrow. Um, Well, uh, I think we're absolutely lucky to have you, uh, Pastor, as a... uh, a soldier of social change and um, <laughs> someone that is taking care of the most needy in our community. Thank you so much for joining us today and, and taking the time to speak to me. Thanks for all the work that you do to lift up voices of people who might not have their, their voices lifted up. I hope one day we can grab coffee. I would love it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Enjoy your day. Thank you so much. We'll do. Okay. Thanks, everyone, for joining us here today. This program, wow, you know, it. Uh, I think I think that, the, you know, the show is just kind of evolving to being the platform and the voice of, of what, the voices that we need to hear from, obviously. It's the reality of, like, lives, whether, you know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it, these are all issues that we need to hear as humans. I agree. So thank you to the people who support us and who listen to us and who tune in and who make this happen, especially our sponsors, Pacific Fertility Center, Wells Fargo, Kaiser Permanente, Weatherford BMW, all the love to our fans. For everything, you can head to michellemeow.com. We'll see you tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific Standard Time.